0: When the going gets tough, you might not need to go too far to manage it. Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform, because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of October 24th, 2022. And today we're going to cover our most asked about topic of this year, volatility. And related to that, why investors should stay in the market even amid that volatility.
1: We know that we haven't let up on these talking points this year. And every day we are driving home the points to our clients that the majority of
0: investors need to stay invested even when the market gets ugly. Yeah, that's right. It may not be new or even creative, but we'll keep saying it because it's true. Now, first, we want to acknowledge, as we have been, that today's market volatility has created real feelable pain for a lot of people, a lot of investors. If surveys are right in the economy, the majority of Americans think that they are already in a recession. And it's because the market environment really feels recessionary.
1: Absolutely, Lauren. But there's an old saying that the best way out is through. And whoever originally said that may well have been talking about the markets.
0: Very true. And to make that point, we have three main pillars of our argument today to back us up. One, volatility creates buying opportunities. Two, timing the market is really hard and often based on luck. And three, investing is a critical way to preserve real returns in the long run. And by real returns, I mean inflation adjusted returns. Thank you for that
1: roadmap, Lauren. So let's start this adventure with some positive news. Volatility creates buying opportunities. And it's good news, honestly, especially for those younger
0: investors who are looking for an entry point in the market. That's right. Investors of all ages can use strategies like dollar cost averaging, which basically posits that if you put, say, $1,200 into the market at once, it would, over time, even out to the same amount as if you invested that $1,200, that same amount of money, in installments of $100 each month over the course of 12 months. It's essentially what many people do when they're making a monthly retirement contribution.
1: Under the surface, though, of course, we're talking about asset prices falling when we talk about opportunities being created here. And there is the fear that if assets get cheap, they might stay cheap for a while, meaning that
0: the markets could stay depressed for some time. Right. And the idea there is that if the markets stay depressed for some time, why would you bother investing? But we'll come back to that. There's a couple different points against that. So first, let's fall back on the data here. New York Life Investments did a study going back to 1987, so 35 years. They took the biggest declines during the year and compared those lows to where the markets wound up at the end of the year. And there's some cool points to to point to in this study. First, every single year included some degree of intra-year decline, even in the incredibly strong market years. Second takeaway in that 35 year period, there were nine
1: instances of a 15% or greater intra year decline. So that's the type of price action we're seeing this year. In four of those years, the market ended the year down. But in another four of those years, the market ended positive. And in one of the years, the market ended flat.
0: Well, it might sound surprising to some of our listeners. But a third and final takeaway from this historical look back in 35 years, not one single time did the market end the year at its intra-year low. Translated, for the past 35 years, the market has always recovered to some extent from the lows it hit during the year. Goes to show that bear markets ain't forever. They're certainly not. In the scheme of things, they actually tend to be short and have also tended to be followed by meaningful rebounds. All right, time for pillar number two of our stay in the market argument. Exactly. Pillar number two, it is really hard to time the market, and it often comes down to luck. Not a matter of weeks and months, but the few best and worst individual days in the market. And the old adage applies here, time in the market is more important than timing the market. And I know it sounds trite, but the data backs it up. Let's draw again from some of that
1: nylum data here. Let's take an initial $10,000 investment at the top of the market in December 2007. So we're right before the global financial crisis and right before that great recession crash. Let's pretend it's you and me, Lauren. So we have Julia and Lauren. We each invested $10,000 in the S&P 500 at that point. If we fast forward from December 2007 to February 2009, we would both be feeling pretty terrible. We'd both have about half of what we started with just over a year prior. There's a recession all around us. People have lost jobs. People have lost homes. It's a bad time. Now, let's diverge paths. I, Julia, stay in the market. You, Lauren, because you're a smart investor, uh, you exit the market for one year. A year later, you see some things start to turn around in the economy and you reinvest the amount that you took out. Want to take a gander, Lauren, at what we would
0: end up having in December 2021 if we had done this for real? All right. Make it 12, maybe a little more years later. And I would argue that Julia was probably actually the smart investor who stayed invested and wound it up significantly richer in that original $10,000 investment terms than me, who got stuck with the short end of the stick in this example.
1: Yeah, well, I created the example, so I guess I get to pick the players. And you're very right, I did wind up with significantly more in that theoretical example. I would have wound up with $43,303, assuming I reinvested all of my dividends back in the S&P 500 index. And you, Lauren, would have ended up
0: with $28,189. Ouch, significant differential, but a couple things worth pointing out here. First, think about that, like really think about that, that I, the air quotes, smart investor who missed all of the downturn related to the global financial crisis ended up with less money, significantly less money than Julia did just by staying invested. That means to our earlier point that Amid those down markets, amid those periods of really difficult market volatility, there must be some up days, or historically, at least, there have been some up days. So let me do the math in my head a second. Just kidding. I wouldn't be able to do that in my head. But you made a theoretical 333% gain on your $10,000 investment, mine being 182%. So it's still an increase, but nothing compared to you in that theoretical example. Yikes. It's important here to say that this was just for one economic cycle, the most recent one, and the next economic cycle might not look exactly the same. And so returns aren't likely to look the same either.
1: That's right. But what this example does is it illustrates how in very stressful and volatile markets, there have at times been some very interesting investment
0: opportunities. That's right. Just one more factoid actually from a similar time period from our our nylum studies we've been citing. If you miss the past 15 years 10 best days, just 10 days in that 15-year period, you would have lost half of your total return by comparison to if you'd stayed in the market. Ouch again.
1: So let's make sure to tie the bow on this broader point with the reason why
0: returns diverge so widely once investors exit the market, even for a brief time. In one word, dividends. They're easy to forget about when the market's going crazy because you're looking at those price returns go up and down over time. But when investors take dividend income from companies being in the market and reinvest it back into their aggregate total investment amount, it adds to your ownership share over time because you're buying more stock with that dividend money. And then that compounds over time as well. Compound interest, literally the bedrock of the financial industry. I want to make sure we add a little bit of nuance here. Dividends generally help to provide some shelter from recessions and economic cycles. They're bolstering a portfolio against that price volatility. But that doesn't mean dividends are completely immune to difficult economic times. Great caveat,
1: Lauren. Companies issue dividends from excess cash. So in recessions, companies experience a slowing of cash flow quite often, and that can limit the company's ability to pay that dividend. So it's not uncommon to see companies pause or reduce
0: dividends during a downturn. That's exactly right. But among high quality companies, dividends are pretty ingrained as a part of their financial structure. And companies are often hesitant to change their payout policies. Investors can look for those specific types of companies. Exactly. So to sum that up, dividends are the key to compounded returns
1: over time, and they can help provide some resilience and downturns, but they are not a financial obligation for companies. That is, until a dividend has been announced, then the company would have to pay that one
0: dividend. This point about dividend income connects us nicely to the third and final pillar of this conversation, the inflation piece of the puzzle. Our point here, when inflation is high, and right now it's above 8%, so I'd call that high, the only way to protect the value of your dollars is to invest in something that gives you more than an 8% return. By this, we mean keeping it real, aka keeping your real return adjusted for inflation positive. That's right. And this hasn't been a concept that investors have had to pay attention to for many, many years. But when inflation is a legitimate threat, as it now is again, real returns are the ones that matter, not nominal returns.
1: It's a really simple point, but one that I feel like is lost on a lot of people who were raised to think that cash under the mattress
0: or gold in the backyard was the safe way to preserve wealth. Yeah, exactly. And terms like safe and preserving wealth are not the ones I would use when it comes to cash and core bonds right now.
1: That's very true. But let's go back to the volatility portion of all of this. What happens, Lauren, if an investor looks really unlikely to get a positive real return on anything this year? If staying in equities or in a normal 60-40 portfolio or even in a broadly diversified portfolio, if those Assets won't get you a positive real return. Why not take some of the risk off the table and go for something with a low and stable nominal return? Take short term treasuries, even annuities. Let's say that I can make 3% annual in core bonds right now. That's negative 5% in real terms, which isn't great, but it feels a lot better than losing 20% in the market. I'm just using a ballpark figure there based on this year's performance. And then you add the inflation adjustment onto that for something like a negative 28%
0: return. Julia, that point brings us perfectly to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. And it's really an excellent point of what to do when you have both inflation and a bear market. And my first counter to your point is going back to dividends because the yield on core instruments is lower actually than on high yield fixed income and on the dividend on equities right now. So you'd still be missing out on a relative basis. Noted. The other argument that we made today that I draw from is that the relative safety you describe of going into the low and steady yielding instruments fades. When you think about the overwhelming likelihood that you might miss the rebound when you're out of the market, I mentioned those 10 best days in a 15-year period, just as an example of of days that be possible that you can miss out on. A 28% loss could be made up quickly if you're in for the whole rebound of the market.
1: Good point. Especially if we think in the really practical terms of having to take the time to take my money out of the core instrument and transfer it over into the equity market, not to mention transaction costs, taxes. So all right, you're throwing my arguments right back at me,
0: Lauren, I can't fault you for that. Those counterarguments just complete our circle here on the logic to stay invested for those investors who have the time horizon to do so. We also need to cover the investment strategies that can hopefully reduce or build some resilience against market volatility itself and potentially help investors to feel a little bit more comfortable about that perspective to stay in the market.
1: Yes. And again, we're not going to be saying anything revolutionary here, but reiterating our recommendations from past episodes and written work. I'll start with the fixed income side. It is a no from us on core bonds and any long duration instruments right now. And we're sticking with our short duration stance. And if we're overweight anywhere in fixed income right now, it would be high yield. Floating rate loans might also have a role here, but in both cases, we'd be keeping a close eye on credit quality.
0: I'll marry the fixed income and equity sleeves of a portfolio here with a point on income. You can lean on both bond and equity sleeves for some yield or dividends to help offset inflation. On the equity-specific side, we're still in a defensive stance in our portfolios, which includes an overweight to value equities relative to growth equities. We also have some commodity exposure and some gold exposure as well, again, thinking about the inflation resilience side of a portfolio. And we have a larger allocation to U.S. equities relative to anything international, especially international developed equities, where we see growth risks as higher. And the reason that we have that U.S. overweight is because with growth pressures going global, the U.S. has the benefit of being considered a relative safe haven.
1: It's also a time to consider real assets like REITs or infrastructure. REITs or real estate investment trusts in particular are subject to the effects of rising interest rates, but real estate can be a solid diversifier where
0: you're confident in the asset quality. That's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Julia Herman. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benemots and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. The S&P 500 index measures the performance of 500 large cap US listed firms. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date. is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the fund or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative purposes and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer or solicitation to buy or sell securities, or to adopt any investment strategy, there is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. The material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances, and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by NY Distributors LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. NY Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA. IPC.